Hey everyone, it's Dr. Candace Still Flippin. Welcome to Beyond the Gap, where we talk about how you can get the most out of your career, regardless of your generation. Today I'm joined by extraordinary businesswoman, Kat Gordon, the owner and founder of Muddy's Bake Shop. Today she's going to talk about her journey and how she found her way to her passion and the best job ever. She's a phenomenal leader and she's going to remind us the difference between being on a water wheel versus a hamster wheel. She'll also help you navigate thinking about your future using visioning and help us understand the difference between being effective versus efficient. She's going to drop some knowledge on what you need to know as you navigate your career and your life. Stay tuned. Hey, Kat, it is so great to have you on this episode of Beyond the Gap. I want to take two seconds and say I am a total fan. And when my husband and I first moved to Memphis, Muddy's was in our first two-week introduction to town. And even though I was born here, as you know, I was raised in Detroit and I came back every summer, but Muddy's was new to us and we found ourselves going in like several times a week And what we would do is we would buy one or two and say, well, this is our dessert for the week. And then some days he would say, okay, we have got to stop. And then so then I'm like, okay, fine, you're right. We've got to stop. But then I would sneak mine in and then he'd sneak his in. So we had to come to a schedule. So I was so thrilled that you are here to share your journey and wisdom with us. And the first thing I'm going to ask you is, Explain what you mean when you call yourself a self-proclaimed failed real estate agent. What's that all about? And tell us about your journey. Yeah, of course. So I did not emerge into the world just fully formed baker business owner as none of us do. You know, I had a career before this and I do hesitate to call it a career because I'm not sure you can claim it as a career if you're quite as bad at it as I was. But yeah, my first my first uh, post-college job was as a real estate agent. And it was not it was not for me. I did learn a whole lot about it. I think a lot of people sort of miss the fact that realtors are in fact small business owners. Mm. You work for yourself. You do not have a boss if you're a realtor. You don't have a boss standing over you telling you when to make your calls, you know, how to do things. It's really more you join an agency and that's some back office support and some coaching if you show up and ask for it. Okay. But whether you sink or swim is totally on you. And I sank. But yeah, learned a ton, a ton from it. But I love when people ask me about that because, you know, it's easy. I think now 13 years into running a business that has, you know, by all outward measures, certainly, you know, the fact that it's survived for 13 years is a success. So I think it's tempting for people to think, you know, oh, good home run. Well, no, you know, everybody's got to practice some stuff first and nothing wrong with that. You know, a lot of young people, especially folks in college right now, think that what they start out with is the whole story of their journey. Why did you decide to start in real estate? And what was that moment when you said, hmm, not for me? Well, that moment comes really fast when you're working in any job that relies 100% on commission. (laughs) So um, that was evident quickly. But, you know, I think for me, at least going into real estate, 
was one of those things that I think a lot of us find ourselves with of you don't know what the next step is. So you have to try something, you know, unless you're a trust fund baby, you know, you, you can't just like spend every day in silent meditation, (laughs) asking the universe to please provide you with your passion. You know, I think at some point you just have to pick something and start doing something. And I'm a big fan of that. You know, I don't want to make the mistake of assuming that everybody learns the same way or everybody has the same values. So, you know, just from my own experience and what worked for me, you know, I was so insecure about not having a passion and a clear direction. And man, what a privileged place to come from. But I think that that's something that, you know, any young student, 18 years old, heading off to college or, you know, 22 finishing up college of any level of education and means, like once you're at that place, I do think that the pressure that a lot of those kids experience is, okay, well, what are you going to do with that? If you don't have a clear plan and a clear passion, our generation was so fortunate that we were even told, you know, my grandpa, my grandfather was never told, follow your passion, find your passion <laughs> and contribute to the world. It was like, nope, you better get a good job, yep. support your family. Like that was success was just security and stability. And our generation has this enormous privilege that can feel like a burden sometimes of, all right, find this thing you're passionate about. And if you're 18 and you have no idea what you're passionate about, I mean, talk about just freezing up. Like, what do you do? And for me, I think finding the passion had to involve just taking action first and learning as I went and then figuring out, oh, it turns out the things that you love are the things you commit to rather than waiting to commit to the thing that you love. Oh, I love that. I think a lot of us approach our careers as if it's like a Disney movie and our career is Prince Charming. And it's just like, (laughs) we're just going to like trip over him one day in the woods while like birds fix our hair. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't happen that way. You know, I want to I want to close the loop for some of our listeners. You keep referencing your generation. Tell me what your generation is and one thing about your generation that we never really talk about. Um the thing that we never really talk about about my generation is that we literally are a generation. So, I'm in the 4-year period of the cusp of Gen X and millennial. And so it's a micro generation of people who now are, you know, 38 to 41 ish that we have a huge affinity for the Gen Xers. We (laughs) really have a lot of appreciation and sympathy with the millennials, but like we are kind of our own weird, funky thing. And literally nobody talks about us because it's like, ah, like they're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Are are you kind of like um, the Jan Brady in the generation description? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. And I'm totally going to steal that. It's just like, yeah, thank you. We're just <laughs> forgotten or the forgotten generation. It's like, hey, we're cool. <laughs> well, I want to, I want to um, let you know that you're free to use that. It's not copywritten. So there you go. It's also a reference that like my millennial counterparts might not even get but like this is where it's like oh yeah (laughs) perfect (laughs) good Good. today we're going to talk about a number of topics but I want to explore one that often comes to my doorstep when I'm speaking with my mentees and it's around this whole concept of hard work so I'm a workplace scholar and 
a communications expert. And throughout my career, I've had so many conversations with women and they think if they just keep their head down and do their job, you know, the career Prince Charming will come and tap them on the shoulder and then they'll get that promotion. And they don't often think about how broad that topic is and everything that goes into hard work. Tell me what you think about it and maybe some examples from your own journey and as a, as a leader yourself. Wow. Okay. So I love this topic because yeah, I can feel like I can appreciate it through so many different lenses, you know, as an individual in my own career, the role that hard work has played, but then yes, I am also an employer. So thinking about not just, you know, not just what I personally need to do, but, you know, what do I expect of the people that I work with on my team and hard work, man, you're right. There's just so many different ways to approach that and probably misconceptions. And in a certain sense, it probably is a little bit like money and sex, like, oh, maybe we shouldn't talk about that. Like that seems (laughs) like we might get into a weird place. So with that said, feel, feel free to like corral me a little bit here because I feel like there's, there's just a lot I could say about hard Let's work. Let's go for it. But starting, I think just individually in my own experience, that maybe was the best thing that being in real estate, even as a very short lived career did teach me because I did not work very hard at it. Hmm. And it's not you know, it's not that I was like too dumb to be good at it or, you know, not a nice person or not excited to go with, you know, people to go find their house. You know, it's like, if you break down all the different components, yes, I could do those things. I simply didn't do the work. Why? I didn't want to do the work. So I found a million other things to distract myself with, including, you know, really spending hours debating which particular banana bread to bake for the open house. It's just like, um, yeah, no, cause like, that's more fun. I want to do that. You know, and I felt insecure about lack of knowledge and things like that. So I think sometimes in my own experience, if I'm not working hard at something, I should pay attention to that just right there. And if I'm frustrated about the results that I'm getting, the very first question I need to ask is, are you actually trying, you know, Or were you waiting for something to just sort of magically happen for you? It's embarrassing to say all of that out loud (laughs) because none of us want to be the person who would describe themselves as like, "Mm, I'm really not making that much of an effort. I'm just sort of hoping it'll happen anyway. You know, but aren't we all like that? It's like, oh, we want to live healthier lives. Like, okay, well, seriously, eat vegetables, don't drink soda pop and exercise. And we're all like, boo. (laughs) I want a different answer. (laughs) So yeah, I think for me, really learning that I couldn't, you know, you can't rely on something external to deliver the results you want. But I also needed to get clear on what results I wanted, which I think was the other piece. Because yeah, you can also work really hard and expend a lot of effort, but ineffectively. So, you know, one of my favorite sort of dichotomies is like, oh, we talk about efficiency. Do we mean efficiency or are we actually talking about effectiveness? Because you can be super efficient at things that don't move the needle at all. Exactly. You can work really hard and expend a lot of time and energy and resources on things that aren't actually going to get you where you want to go. So that's just like running through that hamster wheel. Whereas I love the idea of, 
you know, a hamster wheel and a water wheel. Oh, tell me about that. So like, imagine both of those things, they look the same. You know, the water wheel is larger, but <laughs> how different, you know, I think we intuitively understand like, oh, well, those are not the same thing. A hamster wheel, you are running and running and running and not going anywhere and not producing anything. The water wheel is also just this constant rotation, but it is producing energy. You know, so the flow of water, there is water flowing in, there is water flowing out, which creates this you know, motion around and can create electricity, can grind grain, you know, can do all, all of these things. So thinking about my hard work, it's like, okay, well, I like to work hard and it's healthy for me to work hard. If I'm not working hard, I've noticed I start to make poor decisions and I start to develop some unhealthy habits. So hard work is a great thing. I just want to make sure that it's actually productive hard work and not, you know, wasting my time, wasting my energy and not really having anything to show for it. So that's sort of like my, just my personal self. But I think it's interesting to think about, okay, what are our expectations of other people? Yes. Let's pivot there. (laughs) Yeah. So I expect other people to also work hard and effectively. You know, I'm in an industry that it is physically hard work. You know, we start every single morning and we end every single evening with a group warm up and cool down. And yes, it's about communicating key information, but we literally, it's like we're a class of first graders, like doing PE, like we are reaching our arms up to the sky. We're bending down. We're taking a really deep breath in a deep breath out. And it's because whether you work in baking or retail, you are on your feet, you are bending, lifting, you know, you're like really getting a huge workout all day. It is physically hard work. So we need to make sure that we're centered, we're focused, and we're not using that hard work on a mistake. Hmm. You know, so think about the hamster wheel in my workplace could be that you are literally mixing and rolling a recipe that because you weren't focused, you actually missed a key ingredient on. And now everything that happens after that is wasted time, wasted money and wasted physical effort. So making sure that we're being effective, not just working hard is really important. And it's important for every single person on the team because it's really clear how our actions impact each other. If one person's labor was wasted for an entire shift, every single person on the team feels it, no matter what the role. Uh, So as a teammate, that is really important. And then also, I just think as someone, you know, I work with a lot of people who are early in their careers and it is always incredibly telling to me, you know, there are people who are all about that hard work. That's the grind It is important to them that they be seen as working hard and they might not stop as often as they should and assess if they're working on the right things. So that's something where it's like, oh, someone is just busily folding a million bakery boxes. Like, yeah, I am building up this stack of pre-folded bakery boxes and they're ignoring the customer who just walked (laughs) in. It's like, okay, yeah, you're working really hard. And thank you. You just folded a thousand bakery boxes. That's going to take us like two weeks to go through, but you missed the priority because you like to be seen as a person who works hard. So that's something I think that as a manager, that's taking somebody's strength and just making sure that they understand the greater context. You know, there's nothing nefarious there. Right. That's a good person who has not stopped to think about 
the results that are important for their hard work. But then also, you know, there are those conversations too, where you got to tell somebody like, Hey, it's hard work. (laughs) We're going to need you to like pick it up a little bit and not expect that six weeks in you're going to get a promotion and like a blue ribbon to wear around because that is one thing I'm a big fan of telling young people to charge what they're worth and all of these things. I don't know about you, Candace, but <laughs> when I was 21, I'm not sure how much worth my work was. <laughs> like, um, I'm really grateful for those retail jobs that I had in college and the tutoring and realizing, like looking back now, I'm like, oh my God, my boss could have done the task they were paying me to do three times as fast as I could do it. And like 10 times as well. And part of it is like, yeah, they can't do everything themselves, but they also were taking time to make sure I understood why this was important. And those are skills I'm still using. I wasn't worth $20 an hour that like whatever I was putting out, like I was probably getting paid really appropriately for my hard work. So that was a lot. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so I love it. More like ease some out, but I think that's no. Uh, I love it. You gave hard tips. Work. You gave your perspective, not only from your personal life, but also you know what you <laughs> share today. Let's take a second. So you talked a lot about when you started along your journey and what the expectations were and how you had to find your way. Yeah. Knowing everything that you know today, what do you wish someone would have told you back then? You know, what advice do you? wish someone had said to you, like, Kat, this is what you need to know that might have helped you? Mm. (sighs) I mean, I feel like so much. And then I also wonder if I would have still needed to find out the hard way in order to actually learn it. I think the thing that would have been most impactful, though, would have been if someone early on, and I'm talking as early as high school, probably, if someone had spent some real time with me to help me understand how I learn, that probably would have been the thing that would have been the most helpful because I don't know that there's information that I needed to have. And especially now we can find out any information we want instantly, but to understand, I mean, I think I would have chosen, I would have made different educational decisions if I had actually known some building blocks of how I learn, I think knowing some things about yourself, you know, one of the things I'm doing right now that I'm so excited about a couple of years ago, I taught a visioning class to the senior class at my alma mater. And they actually have me coming back in a couple of weeks because as you can imagine, career day is canceled. Like they're not sending kids out shadowing in workplaces. So they have given me for an entire day, the senior class. Wow. Whole bunch of 17 and 18 year olds for a day long vision camp. And I'm really pleased they've given me a lot of room to do this and to not have faculty and staff in the session. So, because it needs to be a safe space for the girls to really explore. Because one of the other things I think would have been so helpful to me, in addition to learning how I myself learn, I really wish I had learned earlier on the difference between priorities, goals, and values, because the human animal is very equipped to make a to-do list. We are really good at a to-do list. 
we are not great at stopping and asking why those things are on the list to begin with. You know, so for me, in recent past, I mean, growing a business is a great example of this. You know, I even have a group of business best friends I meet with regularly. Like those are the people that will push back on me, hold me accountable. And even they, when I said, I'm going to grow my business another location, not a single person in my life asked me why I wanted to do that. Hmm. The question is always, oh, how are you going to do that? What's that going to look like? Yay for you. Because like we're America, we celebrate growth in all forms, whether it's healthy or not. And everyone was so quick to like, oh, good. That's the obvious goal for any business. Not a single person said, why do you even want that? Because I can tell you now, if I had explored why a little bit more, I think anyone of reasonable intelligence would have heard my reasons and been able to be like, are there other ways that you can achieve? If that's what you want, like, are there different ways you can achieve that? That might be more in line with who you are and what you want. So the same thing, I think for younger people, when was the last time an, you know, a senior in high school was asked, why are you going to college? We don't ask. We say, where are you going to college? <laughs> For right now, this pre these people, it's like, it might be that they're taking some time off. So it might even be, when are you going to college? We do not step back and say, why are you going? And how different would these young people's decisions potentially be if they could even get clear on, on oh, what am I even wanting to get out of this? I know mine would have been so much different. So that is the stuff I could get in a time machine and just like, hey, here are a couple key tools. Use them. You mentioned visioning and going back to your high school and, you know, embracing the senior class. But tell us more. What is visioning and why is it important? Visioning is a tool where you essentially are telling a story about yourself, but set in the future. So imagine getting in the DeLorean and punching in a date in the future. Boom. You get flex capacitor to the max and you hop out of those magical doors and it doesn't matter all of the science that got you there. What's important is that you are there. So what do you see, smell, touch, feel, you know, it's really about getting in touch with, okay, you know, what does, success, whatever that means to you, look and feel like at a particular point in the future and really helping you get past sort of the assumptions about a plan of how to get there. So like where for you, Candace, like, let's say you're going on your dream vacation next year. Yes. Um, we'll just, we'll get post pandemic in case it involves travel. <laughs> um, it does. <laughs> what, how do you want to feel on your ideal vacation? I want to feel free. I want to feel safe. I want to feel maskless. <laughs> I want to be <laughs> able to embrace, like I'm a hugger and I want to be able to just hug someone. If I go to a restaurant and I meet the owner and he brings out or she brings out her signature meal and I'm just like, oh, this is great. You know, and sometimes they'll, they'll get so happy and you can give it like, I want, I want that experience. I want to just take it in wherever it's going to be. And I want to be able to share it with my friends and family. Nice. So that connection. Absolutely. Safe, relaxation. Yeah. Are you more, do you like a bustly kind of vacation or do you like like a sort of serenity? 
more quiet vacation. I like both. I like to start off kind of my husband calls me a tourist like I'm one of those people mm. that you see on the big red bus going through around town with the sights popping in and hopping off and hopping on like I love that but then there has to be a spa somewhere involved <laughs> or you know something. yeah so I like both so my husband is more of what he calls the resortist so we try to find like a city and then somewhere that has like a destination resortist kind like of like a quiet quiet so we we actually try to do both in our on our vacations so this is essentially what visioning is it's like i didn't ask you where you want to go right i didn't ask how you're going to get there what it really is identifying is getting down to like how do you want to feel there you know yeah. what feels right like for me a vacation especially like which is where i am right now it's like I don't want to go a ton of places. I don't want to have to get in a car and deal with traffic. My dream vacation is I am on a beach. I've got a stack of books mm -hmm. like you, like whether we're still in pandemic land or not, like there's enough solitude that I can just like take the fabric off my face and breathe through my nose and like just enjoy myself. So it's like that right there becomes a filter. I can eliminate a ton of places. I just eliminated Paris, Tokyo, New York, Miami. Like I eliminated every busy place on the planet while still leaving myself room of like, okay, if the place that I go to the beach every year, like, I don't know, it exploded, whatever, something happened. I still know what success looks like and I can make a detour and say, okay, well, the place I usually go isn't available, but if this is my criteria for what success feels like, there are a whole lot of other options that I can figure out without just being like, oh crap, it's ruined. Exactly. Good. So yeah, that's like the vacation version just real quick, but that's kind of what I mean when I talk about visioning. That's good. So what have you learned as we've traversed this pandemic? I think I have really, I have learned that I cannot please everyone hmm. and that that's okay. Tell me more about that. I'm a people pleaser. I'm a person who has made her business around hospitality, which is like literally the art of saying, please come and be comfortable. And I'm happy if you're happy, which is great. But you know, our strengths and weaknesses are always two sides of the same coin. So that becomes a weakness when you finally, you find yourself serving thousands of people and unable to draw healthy boundaries between their desires and what is actually possible for you to do while still taking care of yourself. And that's something I've always struggled with and probably will always struggle with. But this past year, you know, everybody knows that you can't make everyone happy. Like you say that sentence out loud. If you even claim, yes, I'm totally capable of making everyone happy. It's like, no, you know that that's ridiculous. False. But there's a difference between knowing intellectually that that's ridiculous and actually being comfortable with it as a truth. And this year has taught me to be okay with that. And I can hold that loosely in my hand and say, yep, it would be great if I could make everybody happy, but I can't. Here is what I can do while still having the energy to do it and to come back and do it again tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And my spirit animal, I'm pretty sure is a lion. And it's because I very much am like a cat. I don't <laughs> love cats, but like I definitely am a cat. 
and have a little bit of that, like, Hey, here's the carcass that I dragged back. Please admire me. So like I stack up the laundry when I'm finished with it, like instead of putting it away as I go, I'm like, I want my husband to see my kill. Like, Hey, look huh. at this. Is that why uh, my husband does so like, that? I, know I didn't that know. <laughs> you just dropped some important knowledge because I'm like, okay, just put it away. Like, why are you? Yeah, no, we want to be like, look, I did this much laundry <laughs> and here it is stacked up. And like, when you put it all together, it's about the size of a human body. And oh yeah, yeah, that was me. Um, <laughs> You've just blown my mind. <laughs> but a lion is also, it's one of the few cats that does travel in a pack. Like there is a pride of lions and I do really, I think it's why I actually do love being a manager and I love having a team. I love being a provider and knowing that like, okay, you know, these are my people and like, yes, they're adults in their own right. But like, I have certain responsibilities towards them and I do really well with that. So pandemic world was actually weirdly like, it brings that into such laser focus that, okay, I cannot prioritize this random lady's desire to have a birthday cake the way that she wants it over the safety and health of my team, right. which includes their sustainable safety and health, which I think is like in normal time, harder for us to get our heads around. Like people can't come to work totally drained and exhausted every day. If we give a hundred percent every day, there's nothing left. So yeah, I think this year has been a lot of opportunities for me to just really learn that that's okay. Somebody being disappointed is not the same thing as somebody being harmed. When women are growing up, we're given so much advice. So much advice. What advice do you think that women are given that actually isn't helpful? <sighs> okay, probably a macro and a micro. For starters, I think women, men, just humans in general, some of the most unhelpful advice is advice that doesn't come with the disclaimer. So I said earlier on, like, I can only speak from my personal experience and people learn differently and do different things. I think a lot of us give really well-meaning advice, truly wanting to help other people but it's based on our experience and it might not fit the other person. And if that other person just swallows it whole without assessing, okay, well, those pants look great on cat. Is this a good fit for me? Well, then it might not work. In fact, it might just blow up in their face. So for starters, I think just as humans, sometimes we're so desperate for somebody to tell us what we should do that, we don't question the advice in the first place about whether it even is appropriate for us. Same thing with like age and stage advice to someone who's 13 years into running their business might be really different than someone who's six months into running their business. Somebody at my stage needs a lot of help learning how to say no. Whereas, you know, when I was 26, like what I needed was people telling me like, okay, you don't know if it's going to fit until you try it, like say yes more. So yeah, I mean, I think that just macro level, we need to be really careful in giving and receiving advice to say, how does this fit my particular context? On sort of the more specific level, I think women specifically get a lot of advice about 
I guess I'll say relationships that, again, might be well-meaning and might sometimes be appropriate. But we get a lot of advice that's geared towards work-life balance and, you know, maintaining employee and boss relationships. I think there's a lot, the last decade especially, a lot of like a workplace that feels like a family kind of thing, which I do think is very well-intentioned. But I don't know about you, I have not ever looked a family member in the face and been like, hey, you're not pulling your weight in this family. You're not invited to Thanksgiving. (laughs) And like, that's a real thing in the workplace. And it has to be a real thing in the workplace. Because very quickly, you know, if you're managing a team and you're afraid to do the tough thing of letting someone go from the quote family, very quickly, everyone else on your team is losing respect for you. Even if they like that person, they're losing respect respect for that because they're the ones having to pick up the slack. So I think a lot of the advice given to women is how to, how to make everyone happy. And it's not that helpful. Because you can't. You can't. And I find that women end up spending so much of our time making other people happy. We forget that we can be happy. Yeah. And like, P.S., you can't balance work and personal life. Like, that's not a thing. They can be in harmony sometimes, but like in different stages, you know, my husband and I talk about this all the time because his job is the same way. Like there are some times where, yeah, he needs to be on work Zoom calls at seven o'clock at night because they have a huge project coming up. And it's like, all right, well, we need to be adult enough to say, yeah, you know what? I, for this week, I'm in second place. That can't go on forever, but we need to do that. And then there have been times he's been able to do the same for me where it's just like, yeah, guess what? <laughs> you know, guess who's going to be doing dinner every, si- like we're not taking turns this week. He's making <laughs> dinner every single night this week because like, I've really got to be present to do this major thing at work. It's like, okay, that's not balanced. That's imbalanced, but it's going to be shifting and it's communicating. And I think we just sell each other this enormous lie that we can make everybody happy if we just crack the code. Nope. (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) profound and real. And I appreciate that truth. And I think a lot of other women will appreciate that truth. I am so glad you made time to speak with us today. As you think about the coming months and the year ahead, what are you looking forward to? Mm. I am so looking forward to my job this next year that it is ridiculous. I have the best job on the planet and it was great. I saw one of those like stupid Instagram because now everybody just like posts like adorably fonted slogans all over Instagram. Um, I realized I just sounded like a cranky 100 year old lady. Um, (laughs) Like kids these days. Um, But I saw somebody had posted this one and it was like, what's your dream job? And where normally I totally would have had that eye roll moment of like, well, you can have lots of dream jobs and blah, 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 blah. My actual first thought was the one I have right now. And I was just like, oh, oh, that's accurate. Because right now, like I am loving my business being back under one roof so much. I am loving that part of my normal weekly rhythm is that I actually get to be back in the kitchen making stuff. I've loved doing internet classes, which is like, what? I'm an analog girl. I'm so surprised that I've enjoyed doing this. 
And this coming year, I'm just so pumped because I feel like, you know, I feel like as a business this year, I kind of labeled the year of growing smaller because I don't want to be stagnant. And I definitely believe in growing deep, not wide, but by just ripping off the bandaid and closing both of my retail locations during the pandemic and saying, no, you know what? Like, I got to keep this manageable. I've got to take care of my team. We're doing everything out of the kitchen. We've had so much fun and it's been so great. And I have loved work so much more. And this year is going to be all about, okay, we have our sort of temporary set up right now, what does that look like to step fully into that as our future and make it better? And we ended up, we got the space next door to us at the kitchen because the dance studio upgraded to this stunningly beautiful space down the street. And so I have the opportunity that I never had in growing my business because my business started in this shopping center and I was landlocked. Like we, I couldn't grow a bigger bakery in the one location, which is what I would have wanted. And now it's like, I can, and I'm just so, so excited about it. So can you take one moment and share with the listeners how they too can enjoy Muddy's Bake Shop? (gasps) Of course. Um, so, So many ways to enjoy it. Fewer places, but so many ways. We're currently, so this is, early February, we are currently open for walk-in and pre-order pickup at our Broad Avenue kitchen, now also retail store, Thursday and Friday, noon to 5.30, and Saturday, 10 to 4. Uh, We also are offering uh, bake-along classes online and hopefully, you know, seeing how how things go pandemic-wise. At some point in the next year, we will have an in-person baking classroom at that Broad Avenue kitchen as well. And we do occasionally offer what we call our work-life classes. So you can take a vision class if you want. We just wrapped up a series in January. We'll do it again in a couple months. But yeah, lots of different ways. And we're getting them all listed on moneysbakeshop.com. And oh my God, I like totally forgot. We also just got a truck. So like we oh. have a treat truck. Oh, Where's the How did I forget truck? that? It's like the cutest thing in the whole world. And like this, um, is it going around town? Like, do you it is post going a lo- around town? Do you so post the locations on your website? Yes. Ooh, so okay. we have like neighborhood hosts that sign up on our website and just like essentially let us park in their front yard. And so it's just like all over Memphis, different neighborhoods. It's so cute and so fun. And yeah, the muddy street truck. Oh, I love it! I love it. This has been yeah. so fun. And since I'm in the time window, I'm going to make a quick stop to pick up some treats for the rest of my weekend. I've enjoyed so much speaking with you. Thank you for reminding us the importance of asking why. Thank you for reminding us that there's a difference between priorities, goals, and values. And thank you for reminding us that it's great to get advice, but understand the context and whether or not it's important to you. So thank you. Jan Brady, <laughs> Squishin of Millennial and Gen X. You dropped some knowledge that I quite understood. And um, I look forward to stopping by Muddy soon. And thank you so much. Thanks, Candace. <laughs> Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Gap podcast. 
If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. For more information and to download the show notes, please visit us at beyondthegappodcast.com.